Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast. And we should probably start right here and say that uh, it's it's been a minute. So I think the last podcast I recorded was back hanging out with the awesome, the amazing, my near and dear friend, Clive Lloyd. And that's been at least a few weeks ago now. So let me explain. Let me explain kind of where I've been is, uh, and anyone out there that creates video, audio, that kind of stuff, you'll definitely relate to this one. Um, but since I started the podcast way back when... 2000, end of 2019, I think is when the podcast first started. It's just dawning on me that we've been doing this for a minute. We've been having this conversation together for more than a few years now. Um, but I, I've basically been using the same tired, worn out computer through this entire course of the podcast and making videos and doing all the other stuff that I do on the internet. And it kept giving me a lot of trouble. I was basically just barely, barely making it work. Just a little bit of smoking sparks, some chewing gum, some duct tape, some sticks, some twigs, just kind of propping it up, making it work just enough to squeeze out some podcasts. So I did what any sane person would do. I probably waited much longer than most sane people. Um, but I decided to get a little bit of a PC upgrade and I've done that now. So here I am hanging out on the new PC. Hopefully no more uh, glitches. Uh, knock on, hold on, knock on some wood desk here. Um, but it took a minute because in between trying to upgrade this stuff and trying to connect wires that I had long ago forgotten that I'd connected or how to connect or, you know, I'd hooked all this up and then I kind of forgot how it all worked. I took for granted that I could just push the button and it'll all come on, it'll all work. Have to reinstall all this and do this and that and this and that and all the other kind of junk that goes along with trying to trying to make something like this work. Um, I've been out traveling and super busy and here and there hanging out on airplanes. Well, let me let me back up. Getting on an airplane so I can come hang out with you guys and help you operationalize human and organizational performance. Um, I've just not had a bunch of time. So Clive was the last podcast that I actually had time to sit down and do right before I pulled the life support on the old PC and then... Plane, 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 go, 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 no, no, nonstop, nonstop. So here we are, though. It's working. It, it's working. And fingers crossed, it keeps working, and we can keep doing this. I look forward to having on some amazing folks over the course of this year, continuing to have these amazing conversations. Do me a favor, before we jump into today's conversation, head over to the website, www.thehopner.com. Follow along on all things social media. The uh, And I'm, I'm totally not calling this. I'm just using it because it's easier to say than go over and check out the the Hop Nerd Merch Shop. It's easier to say, go check out the Hop Shop <laughs> on the website. We've got all kinds of stuff over there that is live now, including signed copies of the book, all kinds of t-shirts and hats and all the kind of stuff that you see me wearing out and about on videos. And as I come see you all across the globe, those cool t-shirts, those cool hats, they are available over there for a reasonable price and they help us absolutely keep the lights on here, keep the podcast going, all the kind of sort of stuff that you're hanging out for. It helps us do that. But there's also a super duper easy way to help us with that as well. And it's totally free. It's just cruising over, leaving this review on the podcast, leaving me a review on my latest book, 10 ideas to make safety suck less. Even if you don't want to leave a review. If you're looking for a little piece of content you want to share on the interwebs, just sharing a picture of the book, all that kind of stuff helps us, me, me, us, all of us, because it is kind of a, a family thing we got going on here between me and Jarell and Avery trying to keep the lights on here. It helps me an absolute ton. And speaking of the book, 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less, I wanted to touch on a, a hot topic that we continue to, to discuss, and I feel like it's 
highly valuable, super important that we need to keep talking about. And that is this idea of starting from a place of trust rather than from a place of distrust. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a live read, a free chapter from 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. Let's, I'm, I'm going to read this chapter. So here's a freebie chapter from the audiobook of 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it a little bit. But before I do that, I, it just dawned on me that I forgot to mention that I changed up <laughs> the intro and outro, which you haven't heard yet, hopefully, but you will hear pretty soon. I, I changed up some of the audio around the podcast. So speaking of us doing this since the end of 2019, I figured it was time to uh, freshen things up a little bit. So there's a little explanation that I guess I forgot to add in the intro because I just got so excited about being back and getting to hang out with you guys for just a, another another show. So if you like that, send me a DM. Tell me about it on the internet. That's always great. I'd love to hear from you. So let's jump right in. So this is Start from a Place of Trust, a chapter from 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. Conversation primers. Are your organizational systems built on an assumption of trusting employees or distrusting employees? How regularly does your company seek out blame when things do not go according to plan? What types of questions are asked after an injury or an event? And you'll hear the book because I'm actually reading from the book. Here you go. Get that little, little book. This is a nice little fireside reading with, uh, with Sam. Um, but start from a place of trust rather than from a place of distrust. The company requires you to upload an itemized receipt for that cup of coffee you purchased on your last work trip into their expense resolution system, and they require you to keep a hard copy until the end of time. Your boss demands a thorough accounting of how you spent each minute of the previous week be emailed to them every Friday afternoon for their review and critique. The company bans the carrying of pocket knives at their location. Your organization applies GPS monitoring systems to practically anything with wills. A strict professional dress code is enforced by the company that covers everything from types and styles of haircuts to the general statement of all employees shall wear pants at all times while at company locations. We reside within work worlds built upon the bedrock of distrust. Surely we cannot trust a person to buy a cup of coffee without undergoing a thorough auditing of the purchase. We could never possibly trust a seasoned and high-performing professional with something as critical as managing their own time and priorities. Although we trust people with multi-million dollar pieces of equipment, the management of wildly complex processes, and to work with insanely hazardous things, how could we ever trust them enough to carry pocket knives? How could we ever trust them to drive a car? How could we trust them to wear trousers to work? Simply put, we infantilize our highly skilled and knowledgeable workforces. We lean heavily into these misguided notions of management knows best, always. We honestly think that we know what is best for them, that we must do what is best for them to them, and we must do it whether they like it or not, and that we require little to no input from them because surely they could not possibly know what is best for them. As sad as it is, we simply cannot muster up the ability to trust the people we employ. We write rules, micromanage, surveil, monitor, and brutally punish those unlucky few that we find to be out of compliance with our Tayloristic and parent-child approaches to overseeing our workforces. Often the only wrongdoing discovered is non-compliance with the surveillance mechanism or management system itself. A missed form, forgetting to upload a receipt, the avoidance of or bypassing of vehicle monitoring systems, and various other acts that many organizations believe to be near treasonous offenses. The targeted behavior is not even caught. 
Simple non-compliance with the system or process put in place to catch the behavior is enough to warrant extreme corrective measures taken against the offender. We genuinely believe that if that we do not have these rigid structures of rules and monitoring, then our work worlds will devolve into chaos. We believe that these mechanisms are strong defenses that prevent undesirable behaviors from manifesting in our workplaces. We just cannot seem to see beyond these simplistic, misguided, and ineffective approaches. Tactics that regularly harm the majority of our workforces, the people that would never purposely seek to take advantage of or cause harm to the organization, while almost never catching the minuscule amount of people that actively seek to take advantage or cause harm to the organization. We're writing rules, building large Orwellian monitoring systems, and using brutal enforcement tactics in the hopes of catching wrongdoers, but all these systems are catching and harshly punishing are honest, hardworking people trying to get shit done within a complex and ever-changing world. We invest massive amounts of time, energy, and resources into constructing these systems, sometimes even creating entire departments dedicated to them, all in an attempt to catch those that would dare tow the waters of non-compliance. Sometimes we even go so far as to purposefully set up meticulously camouflaged and well-laid traps within our work worlds. Pretending like we're trying to snare rabbits or hunt big game, we lay in wait, treating our employees as if they are some form of game animal to test their willingness and ability to comply. We monitor, evaluate, and question every action or inaction they take while attempting to get things done. We do all of this and so much more, all in the name of distrust. Distrust and blame go hand in hand. Distrust and blame are like peanut butter and jelly, bacon and eggs, toast and beans for my English friends, or biscuits and gravy for my southern friends. They are the perfect marriage of our human desires, coupling together our innate instinct of distrust and the feel-good exercise of blaming into a vengeful monster we then set loose upon those we feel have wronged our organizations. Blame is freaking easy. It feels really good, and it makes us really feel like we're taking the moral high ground by harshly punishing others that would seek to break the rules. Something, something we, of course, we would never dare do. We really favor blame in the space of employee safety. Blame is well-primed due to the untrusting views already held about workers. These views are that much more untrusting when related to something as serious as safety and health. Adding fuel to the fire, most organizations view safety as a you-based activity, as something you choose to get right or wrong, as a simple endeavor that only requires enough attention, care, and focus applied by the end user to get right and to avoid the occurrence of events. So organizations see the application of blame as the obvious choice for most safety and health-related missteps or events. Many organizations never trusted their workers to get safety right in the first place, hence their massive structures of rule surveillance and enforcement. So when a safety event actually happens, the end user of the organization's safety systems is swiftly blamed, shamed, retrained, or worse. We will then drag out our long list of you-based safety platitudes. We will screech things like, you should have paid more attention. You should have done a better hazard analysis. You should have been more responsible for your own safety. We'll then look back on these horrific statements as causal of the event at hand and swiftly land on blaming the involved worker. 
Possibly worse yet, we use these misguided beliefs as evidence for the need of even larger and stricter systems of distrust, even larger and harsher structures of rules, surveillance, and enforcement. On and on we go, deepening the divide between the organization and the people it employs, and ever strengthening the parent-child relationship that we have built with the workforce. The infantilizing of our workforces. Our primary position of distrust has driven us to treat employees like they are unruly and rambunctious schoolchildren, or like they're rebellious and defiant teenagers. This desire to treat our employees as if they are children has only seemed to grow in recent years. We have evolved to become proverbial helicopter parents to our workforces. I'm nearly certain that you know the constantly hovering, persistently monitoring, and the ever-ready-to-leap-into-action type of parenting style I am referencing. A style of parenting characterized by overfocus. And Dunwald, PhD, a licensed psychologist and author, described the phenomena of helicopter parenting in a 2019 Parents article as being involved in a child's life in a way that is overcontrolling, overprotecting, and overperfecting in a way that is in excess of responsible parenting. In research from McCarthy and Moore, 2021, helicopter parents tend to worry about safety. Place heavy restrictions on what children can and cannot do. Swoop in to solve problems for children who can likely solve the problems themselves. Impose constant supervision and correction. Make decisions for their children without any input from them. Overly involve themselves with children's teachers and coaches. Keep lines of communication with the child constant. Zero independence from one another. Have some level of anxiety or fear. Refuse to allow failure as part of the learning process. Helicopter parenting can have rather dire consequences, such as decreased self-confidence, diminished self-esteem, development of entitlement, anxiety, and depression, and the development of hostility towards parents for maintaining extreme control over their lives and their decisions. Parents tend to gravitate towards this overbearing style of parenting because it's due to fear of consequences, anxiety, overcompensation, and pressure from the outside world. These are often the primary reason why parents go into full-blown helicopter mode. Is it all beginning to sound a bit too familiar? Not only have we infantilized our workforces through the application of parent-child approaches to management, but our organizations have gone into full-blown helicopter management mode. We hover, we monitor, we constantly coach, correct, and micromanage, and we are creating the same negative consequences brought about by this overbearing style of parenting. The problem deepens. Our employees are not children. Our employees are not our children, but we treat them as if they are. We fall into this trap for many of the same reasons that parents do. We feel, we fear the consequences of not hovering. We constantly monitor to curb our anxiety. We seek absolute control in hopes of steering clear of potentially dire consequences. And because we see so many of our peers and competitors doing the same. But the fact remains, our employees are not children. And continuing to treat them as if they are only serves to create harm and vast unintended negative consequences. Some obvious consequences of infantilizing our workforces. Reinforcement and solidification of a parent-child relationship with employees. The creation of an us-versus-them atmosphere. Less openness and honesty. Less raw and real conversations. Victimization of the workforce. Vilification of the organization. Degradation of ownership and accountability. Vast amounts of time spent hiding or covering up behaviors. Less engagement and undermining of skill and well-being. 
The negative side effects of our infantilizing approaches to the management of our workforces seems nearly endless. These negative and often unintended consequences are brought about by the coupling of our desire for blame and our parenting-like approaches to management, and then using our normal torture kit of blunt, blunt instruments, like disciplinary action, all in some misguided attempt at creating positive influence and outcomes within our work worlds. But they never work out. They never work out as we intended them to. And they only serve to create harm in the workforce. While leaving the organization blind to vital operational information and with a false sense of security, one that says, all looks well from here. Shifting our assumptions about people. The Oxford Dictionary defines trust as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Personally, I find it very interesting and feel the need to highlight that nearly every mechanism we use during pre-hiring and onboarding processes are exercises designed to develop our trust of those we are seeking to employ. We ask situational questions during interviews. We perform background screenings, drug testing, nicotine testing, skill assessments, practical skill evaluations, and reference checks, all in the name of seeking out trust. In more extreme examples, we use things like lie detector testing and psychological tests, examinations such as the polygraph or the MMPI, all in hopes of developing trust in the applicant. There, these are all explorations into the trustworthiness of those we are bringing into our organizations. We invest vast amounts of time, energy, and money into ensuring that we are hiring high-performing and reputable individuals. Yet, as soon as we bring them into our work worlds, we submerge them into our systems of distrust. Even after this barrage of pre-employment poking and prodding, we still distrust those that we choose to employ. Organizationally speaking, we have a low propensity to trust. We start with poor assumptions about those that make up our workforces, and we then point to some handful of more ex extreme negative events to prop up our logic for maintaining this untrusting position. We'll quickly point out an example where an employee was caught embezzling, that one was found to be charging personal expenses to their company credit card, that Bob cut himself with a pocket knife. We will highlight that an employee once cut themselves and required a trip to the hospital, Bob required stitches, that a person was once discovered to be drinking on the job, that someone once stole some private customer information. We will use these and other similar examples as our reasoning for continuing to distrust our employees. We use these rare events to form the basic assumption that people should not be trusted, and we broadly apply this belief to all those that we employ. Some basic assumptions we draw about those that we employ. We simply cannot trust people to do the right things. People are always trying to get something over on the company. They lack integrity. They avoid responsibility. People rarely act with good intentions or with the company's best interests in mind. Without constant supervision and monitoring, people will be less productive, less safe, take greater risks, break the rules, etc. They're fundamentally lazy and desire to do as little work as possible and so much more. These assumptions form the foundations of our systems of distrust. They lead to the artifacts of distrust we can visibly see or experience within our work worlds. To move beyond our systems of distrust, to embrace trust as our organizational neutral position, these basic assumptions must be reformed and reshaped into better assumptions. Without a fundamental shift in how we view those that work within our organizations, almost nothing will change. Our new normal, trust as the organization's neutral position. 
To shift these assumptions, we must lean into the five principles of human and organizational performance, Conklin 2019, and the tenets of safety differently, Decker 2014. We must genuinely shift our assumptions towards viewing people as the solution rather than the problem. We must grow in understanding that error is normal and attempting to punish people into not making mistakes only creates harm and undermines learning. We must lean into better assumptions that tell us people only want to do a good job. People want the organization to succeed. They have integrity. They are responsible. They are highly skilled at what they do. They care a lot and so much more. This shift in assumptions will move us beyond our desires for blame, push us to seek out restoration over retribution, and drive us to deconstruct our systems of distrust. The time, energy, and resources that are currently consumed by our mechanisms of monitoring and surveillance can be better spent on asking employees what they need to be successful and then providing them with just that, the things that help them rather than the things that hurt them. Trust, even when shit hits the fan. Trust can sometimes feel a bit easier to focus on when things are going well, but its continuation when things have gone awry is vitally important to overcoming our leanings towards retribution, poor reactions, and other problematic items that discourage or prevent us from learning raw and real information about operational surprises occurring in our work worlds, information that is crucial to making better operational decisions and growing betterment within our organizations. We must purposely exercise trust when we encounter these surprises by leaning heavily into these assumptions we have already discussed. When that not-so-great something does happen, when there is an operational upset, a quality escape, an injury, or worse, we must start from a position of trust. A few better assumptions to apply in these situations. Employees do not choose to make mistakes. Everything made perfect sense to those doing the work until it suddenly didn't. If they knew this was going to be the outcome, they would have not proceeded. They made the best possible decisions they could with the information they had at hand. Focus on seeking restoration. We can begin to move towards restoration by letting go of our typical investigative processes, ones that commonly mirror criminal investigations and focus on things such as a rule violation, the gathering of witness statements, and the collection of evidence. To begin, we can start by asking better and more meaningful questions. According to Decker, 2016, a restorative approach to organizational justice asks questions such as, who is hurt? What do they need? Whose obligation is it to meet those needs? This focus on restoration is in stark contrast to our typical focus on retribution, one that often leaves us asking questions such as, what rule was broken? How badly was it broken or bent? Based on the above, what does the wrongdoer deserve? In more recent iterations of retributive approaches to organizational justice, I have seen these lines of inquiry take a softer turn, but the focus remains the same. Who broke the rule and what do they deserve? We will ask additional things like, was the rule one of our rules to live by? Did they know about the rule? Were they trained on the rule? Was this a willful violation, unintentional error, common mistake, etc.? But are we really asking anything all that different? Not really at all. We're still seeking out opportunities for blame, seeking out organizational sins, and chopping at the bit to swiftly hold people accountable. Through the extraction of flesh from those discovered to be so foolish as to violate our most sacred rules. But where has that gotten us so far? Sure, discovering a so-called violator, wrongdoer, rule breaker feels good. It feels like the right thing to do, and it eases our anxiety by making us feel like we have solved the problem. But nothing has been learned, nothing has been made better, and work has not been rendered safer through the pursuit of blame and punishment. In fact, a strong case can be made that our efforts are doing just the opposite of what we intended them to do.
The application of blame and punishment within our work worlds does quite a bit. It just does not do what we think it does. We think that we are making our workplaces a bit safer by the removal of pesky and uncaring individuals. We feel that we are teaching people vital lessons through the purposeful application of pain and suffering. We believe that we are demonstrating to our employees the consequences of bending or breaking the rules by making harsh examples out of those that do. And we have genuinely convinced ourselves that we will eventually punish our way to excellence. So what actually happens because of our focus on retribution? Absolute silence. Silence that is only broken when a failure is so large that it cannot be hidden away. For the purposes of this book, uh, focusing on the more tactical approaches of human and organizational performance within organizations, I want to direct attention back to the hop principle of learning is vital. To learn or to blame is a choice we must actively make as organizations, a choice between two mutually exclusive paths forward. Taking the path of blame is to actively choose to forego learning. This is where we find ourselves back to embracing better assumptions. Choosing to start from a better position even when things have gone wrong and understanding that choosing to learn less, if at all, by seeking out blame does not serve to make us organizationally smarter. When the not-so-great things occur, and they will, we must respond with a focus on restoration by asking better questions. Who is hurt? What do they need? Who is responsible for getting them what they need? Is the location safe and secure? If it's not safe and secure, how can we render it safe and secure? As we move beyond our initial response to an event, we must focus in on raw and real learning. We must seek to understand. Seeking to understand. To continue down this path of tactical applications of human and organizational performance, let's dig into some better approaches to learning from events. When an unintended operational upset occurs, whether it is an injury, an environmental event, or quality issue, we must seek to understand. Based off the better post-event assumption we have already discussed, we must purposely and deliberately take more, a more learning-centric approach. In contrast to our more traditional approaches to investigating events, ones that have focused heavily on individual behaviors and error traps, our more learning-centric approaches take a deep dive into normal work, into the context surrounding the occurrence, and seek to learn enough that we can understand or put ourselves in the shoes of those that experience the event. These efforts are collaborative and Endeavors, avoiding offenders and prosecutors that involve and learn from those nearest to the event rather than placing them on trial. Some final words on starting from a place of trusting our fellow humans. Of course, we can choose to continue to be distrusting of our fellow humans. We can choose to continue to maintain and operate our systems of distrust, ever trying to punish and comply our ways to operational excellence. But allow me to insert a rather pointed question here. What kind of existence is that? What type of awful dystopian future awaits us within our work worlds and beyond if we continue to embrace these misanthropic views of our fellow humans, especially for those that are entrusted to our care? If our hope is to craft a better work world and a better world in general, then we must invest our efforts into building and maintaining systems of trust rather than distrust. If our hope is to do things well, we must embrace and lean into trusting our fellow human beings. Some key points. Our current work worlds are built upon the bedrock of distrust. We really favor blame, especially in the space of employee safety. The application of blame and punishment within our work world does quite a bit. It just does not do what we think it does. Trust must become the organization's neutral position. 
We must embrace and lean into trusting our fellow human beings if we desire learning and betterment. A few ideas of putting it into practice. Focus on trusting down through the organization rather than asking for employees to trust up. Genuinely extend trust to those that do the work. Shift organizational approaches and processes towards a focus on restorative justice. Seek to eliminate the petty and harmful systems of distrust throughout your organization. Well, there you go. There's a free chapter, and I fumbled some words, and I bumbled some words, and I might have added a little and taken away on. I don't know. But it's free, right? So there's there's Start From a Place of Trust from 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. If you like that, let me, let me pause and just say this. Cruise over to the10ideas.com. You can check out more about the book there. If you just search it in your local Amazon marketplace, that's a whole lot easier than clicking on the links if you're not within the U.S. because it just shows us out of stock, and then it gets super weird. So just go into Amazon and what? Whatever country you use Amazon in and uh, just type in 10 ideas to make safety suck less and you'll find it and it's big red and white and black cover it kind of stands out it's a little provocative because it's got that big suck word on, on there <laughs> out of all the things people yell at me about they tell me not to use the word suck but there it is it's on there so go check it out again if you if you like that go check it out and a couple points I wanted to, to just kind of tack on here and I know this one's a long one but again it's it's the whole chapter of the book um, this idea of just choosing to respond differently. And let me, let me back that up just a little bit because this is such a great place to start as an organization and it's not super duper hard to start here. It might be harder if we're just saying, let's tear down all these systems that doesn't work out really well. And nor should we tear down all of our systems within our organization. That might be crazy talk, but let's back up to something that we can do as leaders, as people that we can teach those around us, that we can model this idea of just choosing to respond differently. And the first step in choosing to respond differently is to temper our reactions. Because most of the time, what do we do? What do we do with events? We're starting from a place of distrust. We were already assuming that people were just going to screw the pooch anyways. That these people do, we can't trust them to do anything. We can't trust them to do anything. So of course they do. We're starting with all those bad assumptions we talked about back in the chapter. And we react right? We react rather than respond. And I had a near and dear friend share this with me who is in the medical field and working with them on some of this stuff was this idea that think of it like medication. When you administer medication, do you want, you're, you're administering medication to see some form of something happen, right? Typically. And when you do that, do you want to see a reaction or do you want to see a response, right? Response to medication is therapeutic. Reaction lands you in the emergency room or maybe the morgue, right? So break it down in your head between reacting versus responding. We have to temper our reactions. We have to actively choose that rather to re react with fear and anger and anxiety and lashing out and all those kind of things that come with our normal panicked reactions to anything not so great or unexpected happening in our lives. We have to set that aside and choose to respond with grace. And to me, it starts with those questions. And again, back to things that you can just do right now and teach folks to do right now in your organization, spend time with your leaders and ask them because I, I've got this from leaders a ton in the past. And maybe you have too. well, okay, what does respond mean? Tell me what you want me to ask. <laughs> Right? They, they don't they don't know what really to, to they don't know what path to go down. So teaching them that focus on restoration, again, is something that you can work on changing right now. It's not super duper complex to just say, here's the questions that we want to go down rather than who was it? 
What did they do? What rule did they break? How bad was it? Let's start asking some better, more powerful questions. Okay, who's hurt? What do they need? Who's going to get them what they need? Okay, now how do we seek to understand? That goes a long way. And again, it's just scratching the surface on our massive Orwellian systems of distrust that have developed over hundreds of years of, of scientific approaches to management within our workforces, uh, within our work worlds. But it's a great place to start. So if there's one thing I can leave you with right now, tactical go-do, don't seek out retribution. Temper your reactions, right? Set the reaction to the side. We're people. Of course we're going to react. I mean, I can sit here and think about being a safety manager on a massive, large construction project far, far away and the door getting beaten down and someone going, holy crap, somebody cut off this. And of course, I, my first, like in my brain, first reaction is, what the fuck? How did they do that? <laughs> That's the last thing I probably want to say out loud, right? Let's start there. getting kind of real. If I need to pause for a minute, okay, let's make sure that they're alive. How do we get them the care that they need? Okay, let's everybody breathe. And then let's seek to understand. We got to tap into learning. We, anything that dissuades that that raw and real conversation is bad for us. We're choosing to know less. When we choose to react poorly, when shit hits the fan, when we choose to react poorly, when someone brings us raw and real information, they're just going to bring it to us less and less and less and less until we find ourselves in that position of silence. And then the only thing that we will discover is when not only did shit hit the fan, but it hit like 10 fans and all those fans exploded and caught on fire and then burnt down half the world. That's the only time we're going to hear those things. So we are choosing to know more when we give up this distrust, when we choose to respond rather than react. And we're choosing to know more. We're choosing to gain more operational intelligence. So I hope you enjoyed the chapter. Again, if you want to check out the book, it's available on Amazon and Audible and all that kind of stuff. If you want a signed copy of the book, you can head over to thehopner.com and check out the shop. Um, I've got all kinds of stuff happening this year. Oh my goodness, my calendar is already filling up. So if you want some help with human and organizational performance, head over to thehopner.com, get into contact, or just send me an email, thehopner at gmail.com. This is my passion. This is what I love doing is getting on that playing and coming and hanging out with you again i've got a lot of stuff already planned for this year i've got a bunch of conference stuff coming up that i can't necessarily share with you yet i can't share a lot with you yet other than one i am going to be at the michigan safety conference in grand rapids so come up and hang out with me we're going to talk about redefining safe and some operational curiosity bits that's going to be a ton of fun but a few more a few more of those events if you're looking for you know some conference stuff to get into this year but uh, again my most favoritest thing is just getting to kind of hang out with you one-on-one one and help you do this stuff in your house. That's a blast. So I think that's all I've got. There you go. There's a chapter. If you like getting this chapter, you know, for free, I, I don't mean to keep telling like the for free thing, but you know, like people buy books, right? <laughs> so I like getting these out here, especially this one, because this one is near and dear to my heart. This whole deconstruction of distrust within our work world. Um, let me know. I, I might do another one of these over the next few episodes, and I hope you're enjoying the new music and all that kind of sort of stuff. We're going to keep this thing going. Got the new tech on board. This should be fun. Let me know who you want to see on the pod. Uh, that's it. I, I don't know. I'm rambling now. I'm just so excited to be here chatting with you and having fun and talking hop because I'm not recording a podcast in a couple days, and it's all built up, and there you go. So that's all I got. Until next time, it's Sam Goodman, the Hopner, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.